This is Real Talk from Denver 7 and CPR News. Indigenous people have many ways of demonstrating and celebrating their history, culture, and spirituality. I was just really proud that I got to show my ancestral things, my creativity. For many whose families and tribes have been on these lands for generations, they hold these customs close. This week, we have a real talk about Indigenous rights and heritage and what's being done to protect both. Welcome to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. Each week in a partnership between Denver 7 and CPR, we have a real talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado. Yeah, and this week we're talking about Indigenous rights and heritage. For hundreds of years, Indigenous people have passed down their traditions and values, and they are sacred to these communities. One even inspired a new state law in Colorado. And in honor of November's National Native American Heritage Month, we're going to discuss some of these important issues. In 2020, more than 74,000 people in Colorado identified as American Indian or Alaska Native. More than 25,000 more said they were part American Indian or Alaska Native. As of 2023, there are 574 federally recognized Indian tribes across the U.S., They have many different histories and customs, and we're going to touch on some of them today. First, the story of one man who arrived in Denver to get medical care, and now that man's family wants answers after they say his spiritual rights were violated. His name is Arthur Janice. He's from the Pine Ridge Reservation in the southwest corner of South Dakota. In August, Arthur was emergency airlifted to the Denver area because of a medical condition requiring surgery. Now the family says his braids were cut off at some point after his surgery. Keith Janice is Arthur's brother, and he says Arthur arrived at the UC Health facility with hair down to his waist. He's a traditional man, and he values his long hair. And somebody butchered his hair really bad. And so I came down here to find out who did that. Keith says that communication with Arthur's care team has been tricky. Arthur was transferred between UC Health and a rehab center. Later, when the family met with Arthur over a video conference, his braids were gone. Keith says it's unclear when, where, or how that happened. They're blaming each other. These two separate facilities are passing the blame off on one another. We tried calling first to get to the bottom and just got a big runaround, people pointing fingers at other people and nobody knowing, nobody knowing. Some family and friends came to Colorado to demand answers and to be with Arthur. They recently held a small protest outside the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus in Aurora. Red Dog is a family friend who's helping raise awareness. So our hair is our memory. It's our, our, our DNA that reaches back all the way to our ancestry. You know, when all Western medicine fails us, when things are hard, when times are rough, we look at our own spirituality. And so... Him losing it at this time when we're, he's fighting for his life, when he's here for critical care, far away from his family, they take one of the strongest components to his being and disregard it. Red Dog says that when loved ones pass away, their hair is cut and treated after the funeral for a whole year as a memorial. And for now, he says whoever is responsible for cutting Arthur's hair has robbed him and his family have the chance to have that ceremony in the future. Now, a week after the protest, I reached back out to Keith for an update on the situation, and he told me the family has filed a police report. But Keith says that process was confusing and frustrating. And uh, they told me that they had a hospital security, and 
So I, I thought it was kind of strange, you know, that they're going to police themselves. The uh, Aurora Police Department dispatch told us they didn't have any jurisdiction over there. And so I had to ultimately surrender to giving my report instead to the hospital, uh, Colorado University Hospital Security. And then when I was visiting with that gentleman and handing the report in, then he actually got on the phone with the police department in Aurora. And uh, they ultimately did take an incident report from me over the telephone. And so, yeah, I got a phone call back from that detective. And uh, he told me that they're still trying to figure out the jurisdiction issue here. And Micah, when you spoke to Keith, did you get a sense that this is a case where cultural sensitivity is just lacking? Absolutely, Nathan. And Keith says he continues to feel brushed off. Um, Colorado University Hospital just needs to come clean. They know they cut his hair. They know it. They know it. There's no way you can be in acute care because he's an acute patient. There's no way that that kind of... Uh, thing can happen to a patient in acute care that can't even move himself around without somebody knowing about it. And we want to find out who did it. And so Colorado uh, University Hospital, the, the ball's in your court. A spokesperson for UC Health says in part that its staff respects the beliefs and customs of its patients and that their culture must be honored. The hospital is investigating the issue. Now, Arthur's family and friends are also calling for more cultural sensitivity training to prevent this from happening again. And for now, they still hope to get Arthur's hair back. Denverite's Desiree Matherin reported that story. You can read more at denverite.com. We'll continue this conversation on Indigenous rights and heritage and get a little history lesson. Coming up, we'll visit the Denver Indian Center and hear about the work they do in the community. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Haffel. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. Today, we're talking about indigenous rights and heritage in Colorado. According to the Museum of Boulder, the first Europeans didn't come to Colorado until the 1600s, but they were far from the first people to settle on this land. The Apache, Arapaho, Cheyenne, Pueblo, Shoshone, and Ute tribes were already here. It's believed the Ute arrived here first between one and 2,000 years ago, though they don't claim a migration story, saying they've always been a part of the mountains and always will be. And it's histories like these that one center here in Denver works to keep alive. Yeah. Denver 7's Angelica Albaladejo spoke to the director of the Denver Indian Center about how and why they do what they do. Before this was Colorado, before this was Denver, this was Indian country, home to uh, more contemporary times, the Cheyenne, Arapaho, Kiowa, Comanche. Tribes pushed from their ancestral homes to urban spaces. Here in the city of Denver, over the past year, we've had 200 different tribal members come through. Rick Waters helps run the Denver Indian Center. We're a social service organization that in many cases, almost works similar to how a tribe would work on a reservation setting. The center is safe, reliable, or trustworthy place for the community members to go to. They also show the broader community. We are still here. 
We're not historical figures that are, are no longer here other than movies, TVs, and books. Uh, we are uh, your friends and neighbors, person behind you at Starbucks. With so many tribes and cultures, the center finds common ground. And when you look at what are the basic values that are inherent with all, if, if not most, of American Indian tribes, it's all around family. Family values that brought David Wright and Josh Espinosa to the center's Honoring Fatherhood program as students and now teachers. Traditional ways are still important to Native families. Everybody comes from a different perspective with the different tribes, but at the end of the day, they all want what's best for their kids. I like to call it just a men's talking circle where it's more a practical way of learning how to be a leader, a father, um, helping the family, helping your children. When Josh first joined, I was a student, single father, and I was just looking for some food, like a food bank. But through the classes, it just taught me how to like maybe put down that pride and, and put down that, that, that ego and just reach out for help. Help, they say, changes lives. It's helped me heal because having grown up in a broken household, it's helped me to understand and reflect on my own traumas and how that's affected it affects my relationships healing and growth they hope will show this is a community that's vibrant and, and thriving and surviving right here amongst us reporting from denver i'm angelica albaladejo for denver seven and for more perspective we invited rick waters from the denver indian center to join us for this real talk thanks for being here sure so uh we just got a nice introduction to the denver indian center what else should we know about your organization well one thing this uh, the location we're at now and the operation that is there is celebrating its 40th year congratulations from 1983 yeah. when the denver indian center was incorporated there was an organization prior to that, Denver Native Americans United, that worked in servicing the, and helping na uh, Native Americans navigate the, the city. Yeah. That's huge. I want to talk about something positive. What are some things that Colorado is doing really well to preserve Native heritage, Native histories, and listen to Native voices? And this is something you've worked very hard on, so I want to give credit where credit is due. But what have been the results of some of your labor? Well, you mentioned history. History today, what happens today is history for tomorrow. So with respect to Colorado, I think we're fortunate living here in that, you know, the state has an entity, uh, History Colorado. They've done a deep dive in research and example of Sand Creek Massacre uh, exhibition they have. And so the, the, the research done by that uh, facility, and it's a product of the state. University of Colorado Boulder, has just hired a, a vice chancellor for student affairs, uh, Native American uh, affairs. Uh, the legislature is working with the community in identifying those areas of concern and issues that affect our community and passing bills that are positive for the, for the Native community in Colorado. So on the whole, things are happening. And even closer to home, Denver Nuggets celebrated Native American Heritage Night this past uh, uh, weekend at a game. And the Nuggets won. Uh, they did it last year for the first time. And we give, uh, I hope they give us credit because that's why we won the national, uh, the world champion. Oh, that's exactly go. why. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's flip it a little bit. What could Colorado be doing better? We can all do better. Um, and I think it's continuing to listen to the voices of the community as those issues come about and gaining more understanding of what uh, Native community, the uniqueness 
uh, of the first inhabitants of this land that we live on. And I, I think one specific thing that people, it's all around information, education, the breaking down the invisibility, which is misunderstanding, is maybe uh, have curriculum uh, mandated into the school systems that you know, go specifically into the history of Colorado from the native perspective. Because when you look at US history, American history, or Colorado history, it is American Indian history. Exactly right. Rick, you are, you are Kiowa and Cherokee. What are some traditional beliefs or values that you would like to share with others? Well, if you're familiar with the tribes, Kiowa uh, is an Eastern tribe. And actually we were one of the earlier tribes here in Colorado as well. Mm -hmm. Cherokees are from the East, mm -hmm. but all tribes have different values and, and customs and belief systems in place. Uh, even, but I think the values that most tribes have uh, that we look to are around family and spirituality. Mm. And when you tie into that, uh, the concept of respect and how that's implemented, living a balanced life, treating others as you want to, want to be treated and or caring for others. I think that's inherent within uh, a lot of the but values. I know within my tribes, but with, with many of the tribes. Yeah. Now, Colorado expects its native population to continue growing into the future. How would you like to see the center grow in the future? Obviously, I, I think we would like to grow along with the population in terms of providing those direct services to that segment that needs it. Not all people, you know, need those direct social services, but uh, being a part of advocacy information bearing, education to not only our native community around culture and maintaining the culture, but also our general population, the general public, and uh, across the board, whether it's arts, uh, education, understanding cultural values, all the, the social issues that, that are, uh, we face on a daily basis, but growing uh, comparably uh, along those lines. Right. Well, Rick, I want to thank you for all the work you're doing. I know it's endless and thankless sometimes, but you're doing incredible work that's so meaningful to the community. That was Rick Waters from the Denver Indian Center. Indigenous students in Colorado can now wear traditional Native American regalia at graduation ceremonies, thanks to a new state law. Coming up, we'll hear from one graduate on why that's so important. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. School graduation should be one of the proudest and happiest moments in life. But until recently, something was missing for many Indigenous students in Colorado. The chance to celebrate this milestone with traditional regalia, like eagle feathers, moccasins, braided hair, or beaded hats. That's because some schools have said it's a violation of their dress codes. Yeah, but now, students no longer have to get approval to wear these items and clothing at graduation. That's thanks to a bill that Governor Jared Polis signed into law in May. This means Indigenous students no longer have to fear that their regalia might be prohibited or removed at these ceremonies. And that's exactly what happened to our next guest. Leah Duran is a recent graduate of North Glen High School in Adams 12, north of Denver, and a member of the Ute Mountain Ute, Apache, Lakota, and Navajo tribes. Leah, thanks for joining us today. Uh, yeah, thank you. 
Tell us about some of the work you did at your school to raise awareness of indigenous cultures. So when I first started middle school, I was always not seeing myself presented in the books, in the history. So when I moved up to my high school level, I started making many posters talking about indigenous issues going on, talking about braided hair for men and boys that went to school because I know that even my cousins, they get afraid and ashamed and bullied for having their hair. So I want to include my family and bring that into many of my things that I fight for. And so I also created a high school leadership group called Natani, which translates to leaderships. That really does a lot of those activism in schools, but also teaching in accurate history and bringing up indigenous voices. That's such important work, Leah. And you even helped craft the school district's land acknowledgement too. How did the school respond to all your efforts? At first, I had many help from the equity and engagement team, but we were always getting pushback because it's so new and so different. They don't want to recognize that the land we are on today is the land that many had been been stolen from. So I had a lot of pushback for that, but we just kept pushing, told as many students as we could and as many teachers who were behind us that we want to do this. It's important to teach about this. And so it finally got passed and it's used at graduations, at different um, school board meetings. Sure. And, and I want to talk about your graduation. First, tell us about what you picked out to wear, what it looked like, and the significance of those pieces you wore that day. So when talking about it, my mother wanted me to wear, wear traditional outfits. So I wore a traditional youth shell dress. And it's made of these shells. They were purple shells, and I had my mother and me attach them to my black wool dress with much ribbon work and as beadwork. Yeah. So, yes. So, what happened at graduation? When did things say, you know, start to feel a little bit off? So, when I arrived, I, of course, got many compliments. So many people were so happy to see that I wore this. But five minutes before I was going to walk down with the class of 2023, I was pulled out of line and asked why was I wearing that? Where was my gown? Why was my cat beaded? It violated so many dress codes. And so I was interrogated and finally I showed them the bill on my phone because they had no idea what it was. And one of the admins actually took my phone and went to call somebody and to confirm that it was even real. Mm. And so I was waiting there. And I was so nervous because I didn't know what to do. It was moments before I was walking down, going to be the first to talk, to present the land acknowledgement. So when he finally came back with my phone, they just approved it and said, okay, well, you can go walk. Because they were just saying that we only knew about the eagle feather and we didn't know you were going to do all this other stuff. Like it was such a big thing. Well, before that happened and, and even after, how did you feel? wearing these symbols of your culture and how did you feel doing that in front of your friends your family your your fellow students i was so happy i was so excited because they didn't know what this was many students didn't know what i was wearing but when i told them the history behind it why i wore it what each thing that i wore symbolized they understood that it's very important for not just me but for my family because i wear stuff that my mother crafted for me that I beaded, that I was able to have that's been passed down for generations. I was just really proud that I got to show my ancestral things 
my creativity. Yeah, and, and being pulled out like that and, and being kind of, you know, it was it was a tough thing to experience. Were there other indigenous students who maybe were there that day being like, I just didn't even want to wear my traditional regalia because of that possibility. Mm-hmm. Did that happen? There, as far as I know, there's no other indigenous student who has worn any traditional regalia just out to there. They always have to hide it underneath the gown because our schools weren't allowed to do that. They wanted us to all look the same under the history of the cap and gown. But we all accomplish different things. As me and as indigenous women, our graduation rates are so low. So I want to present that because it's such a huge accomplishment to myself, to my family. Leah, what's next for you? What's next is I'm still working with the high school group, still trying to push to have more indigenous history being taught, more indigenous cultures. I'm working with the pairing groups to helping our students get more graduates, helping them have a good future, and also keeping on with my traditions, going to ceremonies, practicing my language. That's what I really tried to pursue. Yeah. What would you say to other Indigenous students that come up against these obstacles and people just not understanding the culture and significance? Read about it. Realize what it means, what it symbolizes. As today, I wear my traditional stuff, and I know each thing that it symbolizes for myself, for my family. So I encourage other Indigenous students to wear theirs, not just Indigenous students, but any type of students who have any traditional regalia. And to those who don't really understand it, just ask a student what it means to them. Don't pressure them into not wearing this because it means a lot to us. Yeah. Well, Leah, thank you so much for your courage and thank you for your continued fight to bring attention to these issues. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Leah Duran is a recent graduate of North Glen High School in Adams 12, north of Denver. And that's this week's episode of Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Every week we'll be having a Real Talk on issues that impact Coloradans who are often overlooked. You can find all of our shows on denver7.com slash realtalk or at cpr.org slash realtalk. Have a great day.